Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I'm joined by Mike Finazzo, an indie filmmaker who recently wrote and directed a feature film called Bored in the USA. It's a character-driven film shot in black and white, and he made it for just $5,000. Board in the USA is now available on Amazon Prime. Let's get into it. And here we are with Mike Finazzo. Mike, how you doing, man? Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, I'm good, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. My pleasure. Um, you made a really interesting film. Um, it's called Bored in the USA. Um, not Born in the USA, Bored in the USA. Right. Um, and it's a great title, and I really enjoyed the film. Uh, thanks. Oh, great. Yeah, thanks for sending me the screener. I appreciate that. Oh, of course. Thank you for watching it. I really appreciate it. Yeah. But, um, you know, before we get into all that, can you give us a little background about yourself and tell us how you got into filmmaking? Um, so, yeah, I, my name is Mike Finazzo, and I have just loved movies uh, like everybody else who aspires to do this since I can remember. Um, I started, I mean, my, like my first memories of being alive really are being obsessed with Back to the Future when nice. I was a really, really small child. Um, and then I kind of graduated to, um, you know, different kinds of movies, mostly talkies. Um, and I think when I was in high school, I kind of started becoming obsessed with like Woody Allen and independent films. And even like before I even knew like what independent was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was around 20, I tried to make a movie, um, which was kind of like, even though. I wasn't in school at the time. It was kind of my student film. Um, and I tried to make a few other features and shorts and never quite got finished. Um, and then about, I'd say four years ago, I made a movie that's like my first finished feature that people have seen. And that was called Wits End. Uh, and really it was a movie I made with my friends with a couple of DSLRs. And it was like the first time I was just, I felt like so like alive and motivated to like make a movie where I was like, I have no excuses not to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I felt like kind of like the technology and, um, kind of like the indie film scene kind of like lent itself to that for the first time. And yeah, I made that feature, um, uh, in 2015, it hit festivals in 2016. Um, and then last year we shot board in the USA and it's been playing festivals ever since. Um, so that's kind of like a brief rundown of kind of my filmmaking journey. Yeah. Very cool. And, um, your, your earlier film was called Wits End and that's the name of a, a bar in this film. It is. That bar is featured a lot more prominently in the movie Wits End. And that was born out of, I had done stand-up comedy for about eight or nine years. Um, And I became, you know, in just doing it a lot and being semi-successful at it, I kind of had a lot of friends in the local area that, um, 
you know, either did comedy or were in the comedy scene. And one of my best friends is a comedy club owner. Um, of It's McGooby's Joke House in Baltimore, if anybody's in the area. It's a wonderful comedy club. Um, and I've been lucky enough to perform there a lot and just become, like, really good friends with the staff and with the owner. And what's cool about McGooby's is – um, it's not just a great comedy club. There's a sidebar, um, that sometimes they do comedy shows in, but it holds about 50 people and that's the wits end saloon. Hmm. Um, so basically whenever I need a bar and a movie, um, I have access to this great looking bar just because my, my friend is a, uh, comedy club and bar owner who is just really you know supportive of local artists and um just loves showing his uh bar and and film uh but yeah i just love that place and i've spent a a lot of nights there um (laughs) just hanging out with my friends and um it's just like a cool looking backdrop for scenes it has this like classic like whiskey bar look and um i just love that place so i've been lucky enough to use it a few times now yeah, that comes in handy. Um, yeah. Now, the film is, uh, it's not the type of film most young filmmakers are making right now. It's, um, well, first of all, let's uh, get it out there. It's in black and white. Right. So, so Bored in the USA, um, it's... I don't know. I, I think that it's, I consider it a dramedy. Like there's some comedy in it, but mostly I consider it kind of like a character study and a, a drama about, and kind of an unrequainted love story about these two people who kind of spend a day together. Um, and it's definitely influenced by like a lot of filmmakers that, you know, I love and um, a lot of stories that, you know, I've, you know, kind of become attached to as like a fan of cinema and, you know, also just like a fan of books and, you know, also like a lot of stories I feel like kind of have a similar tone and setting, but yeah, I, I guess I think you're probably right that it's not the kind of story that filmmakers my age are necessarily gravitating to. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of friends I have kind of do more like genre pieces, which are awesome. Um, but yeah, just the kind of stories that I've, with Wits End and also Bored in the USA um, that I've just really been into or more of like the character study and these like intimate stories and like trying to find these moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, not many folks are making black and white movies, um, I guess because they want people to see their movies. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, we do kind of limit our audience a little bit, but I was really proud of the way this movie looked and uh, it was an aesthetic I wanted to use and um I think it kind of fits the story. Um, and also, I, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, I'm from Baltimore, um, which is in Maryland on the East Coast. And mm-hmm. um, a few things have been shot here. Um, like John Waters famously has shot a lot of independent films here and sure. uh, Barry Levinson and um, also the HBO show The Wire, which is amazing and it's a classic and it definitely shows a very distinctive um, side of Baltimore, which I think is what a lot of people think of now when you bring up Baltimore. Um, so I wanted to make a movie of Baltimore as a backdrop that was kind of like the Baltimore I know, which is in some ways it is romantic and it, it's kind of like underseen in some ways and has these like gems that we don't think about when we think of Baltimore necessarily. Um, so I wanted to show that. And I think sometimes I kind of have like a romantic view of it. And I think the black and white kind of plays that up a little bit. 
Um, and just kind of like I wanted shows Baltimore in a light you haven't seen it. So that was one of the reasons for the black and white. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, I mean, it ties into the story beautifully. Um, I mean, there's even a line in the in the film about uh, what is it? Life is simpler in black and white. Yeah, wife is simpler in black and white, which is uh, what it's actually the two characters, Chris and Kelly, um, who are spending this day together. Um, they're talking about an old movie. They're talking about his girl Friday. Um, and yeah, he brings up that line, which I think is, is, uh, it's an improvised line that I think in hindsight is way deeper than we probably thought it would Mm. be. Um, and it also lends to that fact that we're paying homage to old movies. Um, I love, I love classic films and I love those old Howard Hawks romantic comedies. Um, and I wanted to pay homage to that a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think the black and white is kind of an extra layer on that. And it kind of becomes a little meta in that scene that you're referring to. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Or it's this romantic comedy love triangle where somebody's leaving on a train and they're dissecting this movie that's also black and white. And, mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah, I definitely uh, that that ended up adding a lot more layers and becoming a little bit more meta than I think we thought it was going to be. Yeah, I shot a uh, a documentary short in and I did it in black and white. And what I realized quickly is color correction is much simpler in black and white. <laughs> yeah. Did you find I, that? Um, in some ways, like I think I thought it was going to be simpler. Um, but I think that when um, you were, when you're in there editing and doing the color correction, uh, I think that when you simplify it, the more you do that, the more you realize that every single thing on your screen is there for a reason. Um, the other thing is it better look good. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, um, if those, you know, whites are a little bit off or those darks in the background aren't as crushed as they should be because you're not doing it right, I think it's going to be much more amplified because what you're seeing on the screen is two-toned and very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of filmmakers do that now where they'll shoot in black and white because they think it's going to fix problems. Mm-hmm. And really if you, don't do it right. I think it's just going to kind of look bland and shitty. Yeah. So um, I've seen people misuse it. But what was your when you did your doc short? What was the reason you used black and white going into it? Oh well, uh, the setting was kind of a it had kind of a noir vibe, and so did the main character. So we went with that. And uh, yeah, on top of that, I used a million different cameras that had a million different uh, color variances, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it still wasn't perfect, but uh, right. in your film, uh, the visuals are really clean and really crisp. Thank you. And, and by the way, that did fix some, um, we used multiple cameras in this movie and it did fix that problem mm-hmm. uh, by using it in black and white. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of hard work in the color correction with that. And we wanted it to have this like really milky filmic look, mm. um, which I feel like I feel like when I listen to like some podcasts, I feel like some people say that without exactly knowing what it means. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it just comes off looking like cheap or it's grainy because you didn't know how to do it right. Right. Um, And with ours, like we had some pretty specific things we wanted to pay homage to and um, wanted it to have this like really lived in 
aesthetic, and I, I, I think we pulled it off. I appreciate you saying that we did. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about it is a lot of the places, like you said, uh, Baltimore is a, a sort of the backdrop, and it is, <laughs> but a lot of the places you filmed um, in real life would be very colorful, like uh, Graffiti Alley or uh, The Park. Right. Yeah, and the, there is like an interesting like contrast there. And if anybody ever gets a chance to see like Graffiti Alley, it is beautiful and colorful. Colorful, and it is like this is like beautiful art piece. Um, it is like a we we talk about it in the movie, but there's this place in Baltimore um, where basically artists um, draw and use graffiti, and then it becomes graffiti on top of graffiti. And like, it's like a lived in art installation that's just constantly changing and evolving. Um, and it is this colorful, vibrant place that like now like couples use to do their engagement photos in, and a lot of actors in Baltimore use it to get their headshots done as they use that as a backdrop. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's this awesome, vibrant place. And we stripped away all color. Um, of course, being a black and white film, we don't, we don't show those beautiful colors. Um, but to me that comes back to like the intimacy of the movie to where it's about these two characters. Um, and it's about them in a particular moment. And it's kind of boiled down to like two characters, two colors. We don't need the the frills or special effects of anything else. We just have this like lived in moment that we're capturing. And that's mm-hmm. at least what I was going for. And I probably sound like a pretentious douchebag explaining this. I no. hope not. But I, thought, I thought it was cool seeing all the, the street art um, with no color. It, you know, it, uh, it's, it's almost like you could have used it, but you said, you know what? It's not about that necessarily. It's about the character. So I dig it. it. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I've been to uh, Baltimore and all around Maryland a few times. And uh, you did it right. I mean, you even had the uh, the crab feast going on right yeah you, you have you have to show some crabs yeah uh, it made me hungry i'm not gonna lie <laughs> not a lot we have uh at festival q a's or or after screenings people will come up to us and say that was such a beautiful shot of crabs <laughs> um, and uh, uh yeah we we actually lucked out with that we were such a run and gun movie that like we didn't there's one location we paid for mm. um and then a few other things, you know, like the crab place, like they were just like super generous and sweet to let us shoot there um, for free. So we were happy to buy some crabs and indulge for an afternoon. But yeah. um, it also kept our actors that were, you know, working for free very happy to have an afternoon like that. Yeah. And uh, it seems like, um, I mean, you filmed out out and about in the city, Um in, in a park, you know, yeah, we already know about the location of the bar, but, um, the, the outdoor locations, did you bother with a permit or did you just go and and do it? Yeah, we, we run and gunned it. Um, we, um, yeah, like I, we, our budget was about $5,000. So nice. to get taxes and like proper permitting, like wasn't really an option for us. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to uh, not taxes, insurance and proper permitting. Um, 
So yeah, we just runned and gunned it and having a little bit of knowledge in, of the city, um, you know, myself, I'm from Baltimore, uh, my DP, um, both of my crew guys were from Baltimore. So we, we kind of had like a pretty good idea of not just where would be cool backdrops, but where would be like production friendly, you know, places to film Mm -hmm. and times to film them. Um, filming in any city is going to be tough when it comes to, um, you know, just problems with sound and with just, you know, people popping in and out. And we got to definitely had a little bit of that. Like there's some, some scenes we definitely did a lot of work in post-production on sound just because there were things out of our control. Um, but yeah, I think just like the planning and just like having like, just like a little bit of knowledge of our surroundings was definitely helpful and just kind of like, um, you know, making production go pretty smooth when actually trying to execute that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. because when you don't have permits and you don't, you can't shut down streets, you're constantly in a live environment and there's definitely going to be some challenges. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. And, um, the, you, you working with actors in that, uh, situation, uh, could be stressful for the actors, but the acting in this is wonderful. Oh, thank, yeah, they, they're awesome. Um, and that's just all the credit goes to them. Um, they were not phased by anything. Um, yeah, shooting in those live environments. Um, it's it's not a skill I have acting. So I, I to me, like when I watch two people do it, and even if it's as simple as like not moving and having a conversation, but it feels natural and wonderful. I feel like I'm watching like a magic trick. Like Mm -hmm. I don't understand how it's happening sometimes. Um, and Kelly and Chris are really great and so proud of their chemistry. And I think that like a lot of it, like when it comes to like filming in those live environments, I think it almost like adds this like layer of like authenticity where it's like, they don't, feel like they're acting because so much stuff is going around. It's Mm -hmm. like sometimes it is just them hanging out in the park and getting a feel for this lived in environment. Um, Sometimes it adds like this like cool, like naturalism and authenticity when, you know, things are going wrong. Um, And I think that, you know, they were definitely just completely unfazed by any of those challenges and, um, super proud of them because they're really, really great. And I feel like all the feedback we get is, you know, how good the performances are. Um, you know, it's just really a testament to how talented they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then one more thing about the city. I mean, Baltimore is a decent sized city and yet in your film, it almost feels empty. Was that a decision you made? It's yeah, that was intentional. Um, to where it really, I wanted to feel like we had these two people that are lonely and kind of like in this weird station in life where they just kind of like meander throughout their days. And like Kelly's a bored housewife and Chris is a guy who doesn't really know what's going to happen next or if what's going to happen next is the right thing. And I think they're in these like two different, but you know, kind of like, uh, similar places when it comes to being in an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I wanted to have that come through in terms of like 
you know, there's so much chaos in their lives, so much like internal chaos in their heads that like when they go out and spend this time in the city, it's just the two of them. And it feels just like so empty. Mm -hmm. Like it's just these two people and there's nothing else in the world. So yeah, we avoided using extras for a lot of the scene. Um, Like even when they're watching a movie in a movie theater, there's like three people that are in that scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's also realistic too. If you go to see a movie in the middle of the day, like I have a lot where the, you know, sometimes you are watching guardians of the galaxy with, you know, two other people and one of them brought a baby or something or mm-hmm. like it's where it's, uh, it, it's just about how you're experiencing that moment and not who else is around. Yeah. And they went, I mean, this feeds into your whole love of old movies, but they went to see an old black and white, uh, Cary Grant movie, right? Yeah. They see his girl Friday, which is, it's kind of a classic um, romantic comedy with Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell and um, has a lot of parallels between that movie and kind of the story of Kelly and Chris. Um, but yeah, that was a fun scene to shoot. Now can I, can I ask, how, how'd you pull that off? Did you, was the, the film actually being projected? And, um, you know, I guess you weren't worried about any copyright stuff. Yeah, so part of the reason we did pick that movie is because it's so old at this point that it's public domain. Nice. Um, so, so we couldn't get in trouble um, for showing it. And it is funny that like that's like when I was doing research for the movie, um, I, I just looked at a list of public domain movies, and a lot of them are like old silent monster movies or something Mm. or like stuff that like hasn't really like aged well Mm -hmm. when i think like his girl friday like i think is actually aged extremely well um like chris uh milner who's uh the lead male in the movie um he's a stand-up comedian and a hilarious dude and when we were watching his girl friday he was genuinely laughing at some of the jokes in the (laughs) movie um where it's like it doesn't matter what it looks like or how fast they're saying it. It's like funny's funny, mm-hmm. and uh, that movie proves that. Um, so we knew we could get the rights to it just because it was public domain. Um, and then the scene logistically itself, we that's we staged that. Um, so uh, when I said that that was there was one scene in the movie that we paid for the location, that was it. Um, there's this wonderful uh, venue in Baltimore called the Creative Alliance. And they do everything from art shows to um, bands to comedians to they have movie screenings. Um, so we, you know, I called in a few favors and paid a small fee. And we basically staged a screening of His Girl Friday on a Saturday afternoon. Nice. Um, so, yeah, that's how we pulled that one off. Now, we keep talking about the actors. Um, it the lead male, you say, was in stand-up. So was he a friend of yours? Yeah, I've known Chris for probably most of the time I, I did stand-up, so almost like eight or nine years. Um, really great dude and a funny dude. and uh, He's never acted before. This was his first uh-huh. um, his first performance. And he's so natural and so good in the movie. Um, and then Kelly didn't do stand-up, but she is an improviser. Um, and she did act a little bit before, um, I started working with her, but she's also great in the film. Um, but yeah, everybody, you know, I'd say 
and with between our cast and crew um, and even people who had like a handful of lines in the movie or extras in the movie, there's a pretty good chance that somebody had a comedy background just because I was calling in favors with friends and just mm-hmm. people I knew. Yeah, that's great. That's the way to do it. Oh, uh, definitely. Now, the the main character, Chris, and uh, the guy who plays it, they happen to be British. Did you write that in the script knowing it was for him or did you modify it for him? So something that I, I think is interesting and like whenever people ask me for advice on how to make movies, um, I think the number one thing, and I'm, this has definitely come up on your podcast a lot. Um, which is wonderful, and I'm, I'm glad people listen to it. Oh, thanks, Go check yeah. out the Diane Bell episode because it's awesome. Mm-hmm, I um, agree. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Uh, she's awesome. Um, but uh, one of the things that I always go back to is resource filmmaking and just building around what you have. Um, so, like the original story for Board in the USA, it was two completely different characters. Um, Basically, Kelly's bored housewife character was like a schlubby middle-aged dude who was unhappy with his marriage. And basically, he spends a day with a younger um, Indian woman who, you know, he has kind of an infatuation with. And they have a connection and spend a day together before she leaves the country. And basically, we tried to cast that movie and could not find the right actress. Um, Just for some reason, you know... um, Either uh, we like somebody and the schedule didn't work out or someone didn't connect to the material or they just weren't right. Um, So we couldn't find the actress. And after a few months, um, I just went back to the drawing board and I was like, all right, so I don't have this type of actress. What do I have? And I knew I had Kelly because I had worked with her in Wits End and she was awesome and basically took a part with like very little substance and added like such humanity to it and really crushed it in that movie. So I knew I wanted to work with her again. I knew she was great. And I had a friend who um, had never acted before, but he's super charming, charismatic. And if he could show any type of um, and the, like the same type of like humanity he shows when he has conversations with me as a friend, if he did that on screen, I knew he would be really interesting to watch on film. Mm-hmm. So basically I changed the Indian woman to a handsome British dude mm-hmm. and the, the schlubby white guy to a bored housewife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of built around the, you know, the people I had and I'm glad it did. You know, I think that the other version of the movie would have been interesting, um, but it wouldn't be what it is now, which I think is the right thing thing yeah no it's great and you know it's a very human film it's not there's no quick edits or explosions and um when when your characters are talking the conversations are they're realistic and awkward and well they even point that out in one scene but um and the pace of the film it, it feels like it's deliberately slow can you can you talk about that yeah so i i love like when i think of like my favorite movies like a lot of them come back to like very like naturalistic moments and um sometimes that's american film sometimes that happens a lot more in like french new wave films um sometimes that happens to such extremes where i don't have patience for it in movies uh, Mm -hmm. but i can appreciate it um so like for this movie i definitely wanted it to feel you know like you know those um movies that i love that capture that realism um to where it's about like finding you know these 
just small human moments. And sometimes when you're spending a day with somebody, it takes a bit to get there. Um, and I really wanted to feel like we were just a fly on a wall for these two people connecting. Um, yeah, I just, I love those like intimate, like human moments. And we did that with, you know, wits end and with this movie where it's like, it definitely, I I like to think we reward your patience. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I think ultimately like those, these are the kind of stories that, you know, I like to tell. And I've, I've often like told people that there's like no, you know, better special effect than like two interesting actors Hmm. or even one interesting actor. Um, and yeah, we had like, like the Patterson park scene where they're sitting on a bench talking. I think that's, you know, in the movie, that's about six minutes. Um, which definitely is like a deliberate, like slow pace. We actually had versions of that scene that were like 14 minutes. And if I had my druthers, I probably would have put all 14 minutes in the movie. Hmm. Um, but you know, unfortunately some audiences don't have the patience I do for watching two people talk in black and white. Mm -hmm. And I can totally understand that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I just wanted to feel like we were just like hanging out with these two people. And sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's sad and sometimes it's awkward. And I just wanted to like capture like all those like different emotions, Mm -hmm. um, that you would, if you were, you know, just hanging out with your friends for, you know, 10 hours or however long Chris and Kelly are together. Yeah. And I like the way, um, you didn't, uh, you know, force emotional manipulation in those scenes with like, uh, music. It seems like most of your music was, uh, during like montages or whatnot. Yeah. We use a lot of music in the movie as like kind of like linchpins for scenes. Um, and for like, um, yeah, like in, in those montages or to kind of like, um, and a lot of, of a lot of French music, right? We do. Yeah. So I'm really proud of the music we have in our movie. I've often said that like, there's like two main characters in this movie. And then to me, the third and fourth leads in the movie are the city of Baltimore and then the music. Mm -hmm. Um, and the music is kind of two headed for us. So we have like the instrumental score that, you know, I have an amazingly talented friend, John Walker, who did, um, and he did such a cool job with, some of this music that does punctuate some of those moments subtly, but also just kind of like drives us from scene to scene. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really subtle and beautiful. And I think just the fact that we have an original score kind of blows my mind sometimes just because not a lot of independent movies can afford that. And I'm just lucky to have a really talented friend that was happy to do it and was passionate about the project. Um, and he actually won uh, best music at the Reading film festival, which he was stoked about. Oh, great. Um, and then, yeah, then the other part of it, as you mentioned, was the French music, um, which, um, I kind of stumbled across. Um, I'm a big fan of music and movies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when, um, like I grew up, man, I, I, when I was in high school, the movie garden state came, or I'm sorry, when I was in college, the movie garden state came out. Like sure. I was obsessed with that soundtrack. I don't know how it's aged now, but at the time I loved it. Um, or even like, uh, the graduate with, you know, Simon and Garfunkel's music. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just love music driving 
kind of like these character studies and, you know, these like human dramas. Um, but when I was like finding music for this movie, for some reason, whenever I would try to put a montage together um, with like a, you know, a folk song or um, a song by like a singer songwriter, I like there was something that just felt off about it. And I think a lot of times with montages, it's because it becomes about the lyrics of the song. Mm. So one day in editing, I just kind of thought, maybe I'll try this French music that I really like. And I think the cool effect of that was it stopped becoming about the lyrics and became um, more about like the emotion and like the vocals in those songs almost became like an extra instrument. Mm-hmm. Um and it didn't matter about the lyrics. It just mattered about the feeling. And I just really dug that um, and decided to use that for pretty much the whole movie. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, and it harkens back to the old French films, too. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that was that was the other part of it, too, is like it went back to kind of like showing Baltimore in this romantic light. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's nothing more romantic than a black and white montage with French music. Um, (laughs) And I I just thought that it had this like really cool effect and just like something I haven't seen when it comes to a movie like this. Um, And I was really proud of that, especially a movie that shows Baltimore like this. Um, And I just thought that music was just a really cool effect. And it's by a wonderful um, Quebec singer songwriter named um, Jean-Francois Bay, who's uh, super talented and, um, kind of did us a solid with letting us use um, five of the songs in the movie. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I would have thought they were 50 years old. Yeah. He's brand new. He just came out with his, I think his second album um, in the last few years, but mm. um, yeah, it, but it definitely has a feel of like it would of a, a music that would have been in like those great, you know, forties and fifties French films. It has a really cool effect to it. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, film festivals. How that? How's that going? Uh, pretty great. So we finished our festival run this past March. Um, we had, I'd say, just being like honest and transparent, we didn't get into any of like the super A one top tier festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got into like the Indie Street Film Festival in Red Bank, New Jersey, which is actually an incredible festival. Um, we played alongside like Thunder Road that won South by Southwest, wow, uh, which is, Oh, thanks. Yeah. That was a wonderful movie and they deservedly won that festival. Um, and, uh, but it was just cool to like show our movie in a packed, you know, theater and, um, definitely some of these like, uh, festivals when you get below that, you know, upper tier kind of gets hit or miss, but mm-hmm. we really lucked out when it came to Indie Street. We showed at the Reading Film Festival in Pennsylvania, which was great. Um, we showed at the Twin Rivers Media Festival, which was awesome. Um, yeah, we showed it like, I, I think our, we ended up with seven all together and we had such a great experience mm-hmm. um, with, with those. Um, yeah, and it was just cool to watch the movie with an audience and, um, I think especially with a movie like this, it's always odd because I've made comedies before and when I've watched them with an audience, you know exactly which point is working while you're watching it, right. uh, which points are working when I'm watching it. Um, but like for this, it, it's cool to hear a laugh and then them get really quiet and you know what's being effective, uh, you know, when it's like that scene with Chris and Kelly in the car towards the end of the movie and you can hear a pin drop. Mm-hmm. Um, and just some of the conversations I've had with people, 
um, afterwards about, you know, relationships and, you know, what they see in the characters or don't see in the characters or what they love about them or what frustrates them. It's, it's, it's really cool to kind of like talk to people and, um, that's almost been as fun of an experience as, you know, actually watching the movie. Yeah. Now, I like the fact that you kept your cast really small. I mean, except for a few scenes where, where there's a crowd, um, you basically have the two main characters. Um, right, right. That's much easier to handle. And I think a lot of indie filmmakers make that mistake when writing a script. Um, I'm curious, how, how many days was the shoot? So we ended up with 14 days of filming. Um, nice. And yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think there's definitely a give and take to it. Um, like I, I definitely know folks that have like overcrowded their, you know, film and a character gets shortchanged here or shortchanged there, or it's totally all over the place. Hmm. Um, the downside to doing a movie like this is when you're in editing, um, if you're ever worried about the movie being boring, there is nothing else to cut to. Right. It's not like we could cut to that B storyline that's going to break this up. Or mm-hmm. um, So it's like you are living and dying on how much people are invested in the two characters, um, which lucky for us, we have two great characters and actors. So um, people you know, have seemed to get pretty attached to them. But um, it is nice to... Um, kind of have other options to cut to um i'm almost i'm also a fan of um a lot of directors that do use a lot of characters like you know i like i love those altman movies that are 20 characters in a movie or a a paul thomas anderson movie where it's Mm -hmm. 12 main characters um so i'll definitely do that at some point but yeah it was nice to kind of zero in and just focus on um these two incredible actors that we had for this like we finished up our um, festival run in March and we just put the movie online if people do want to check it out um, which I think is becoming more and more common for um, not just movies our size but pretty much everything our size up until big studio movies where mm-hmm. I think the festival run is the theatrical run and then you know the online release is pretty much the release of the movie um so for anyone that wants to check it out we're on um amazon prime in the u.s and the uk um and anywhere else you know people can watch it on vimeo um which is pretty cool cool. yeah just because our movie it's like i said it's a five thousand dollar movie so um you know that release might not seem like a lot to some people but just the fact that we put out a movie for that we made for like no money and that like literally anyone in the world can watch it on any device. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't ask for more than that. So, um, that yeah, it's great. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the times we live in, I think you're right about the festivals. That's a good way to look at it. That's kind of the theatrical run and then you release it on VOD. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's, by the way, it's not a bad theatrical run. Like those are audiences that are going to be in tune with independent film and art house film, and yeah, and and you know a lot of people have Amazon Prime, so they're not even paying for it. Yeah, it's it's amazing how, and we just released the movie three weeks ago, but 
we're getting like a decent amount of views and we're getting reviews from people that we don't know. So it's a, like we knew of uh, initially like our friends and family would say nice things about the movie, but it's cool to see like five star reviews pop up from just like people that me, Kelly or Chris have no idea who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it is reaching people. Um, it's not a great way to monetize your movie. I don't right. think we figured out that part of it yet, but just the fact that the movie's going to be out there forever for people to discover on, you know, as big of a platform as there is. Um, it's definitely, you know, a good situation and good for, you know, artists like us who are, we're just trying to get our stuff out there and find an audience. Mm-hmm. Now at the end of the film, the title throws up and, uh, there's a song with the lyric board in the USA. Right. What, what's that all about? Uh, so that is, um, a song that John Walker, who did our score wrote, um, we were trying to figure out a good credit song and there was one that I really liked, um, that we couldn't get the rights to, unfortunately. Um, and then there was another song that we could get the rights to, but it didn't just, it didn't quite make sense. Like thematically, um, especially for all these montages and there's four of them throughout the movie. That's all these French, uh, French songs. Mm -hmm. It was just jarring to hear, you know, English speaking folk, uh, music. Um, so then John wrote the title song, you know, uh, it's called Kelly's song, but the first lines are I'm bored in the USA. And we just thought that was like a fitting way for, uh, for the movie to end. And again, like for a small movie like ours that costs $5,000 to make, it's, I'm incredibly lucked, uh, incredibly lucked out and, um, am humbled that I got to have an original score and a title song for the movie. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of, you know, a lot of guys on our budget level can say that. So it's pretty yeah. cool. No, that's great, man. And, uh, you know, I urge everybody out there, check it out on Amazon prime. And, um, uh, why don't you let us know where people can find you in the film, uh, online? Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, um, uh, if you go to our website, board in the USA film.com, um, it has all the information about the movie. It has the trailer, um, it has the Amazon links and the Vimeo links. Um, so basically everything you want to know about the movie is right there. Um, and I hope people check it out. Um, if you do check it out and like it, um, you know, it takes two seconds. Please leave a five star review that actually helps us out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like with the analytics and the algorithms for um, Amazon, they definitely cater to and, and promote movies that have good reviews and also um, good views. Um, so if you like it, takes two seconds, please do it. Um, you know, if, if you didn't like it, you know, don't be a narc. Um, <laughs> you know, no one likes a tattletale, but, uh, <laughs> right. or support indie film and lie. Um, I would do it for you, but, yeah. uh, but uh, no, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, like I said, I genuinely uh, I love this show, and you do a great service for filmmakers. And definitely check out uh, the Alex Ferrari episodes and the Diane Bell episode because they're really, really great. Awesome, man. Well, you know, it's always good to know people out there are actually listening. So <laughs> I appreciate that. And uh, this was great. I really uh, enjoyed talking with you, Mike. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Tim. It was definitely uh, my pleasure. So thanks for checking out the movie, and thanks for having us on. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit podcast. Feel free to go to our website and check out the show notes, IndieFilmGrit.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at IndieFilmGrid. And if you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up, but before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit? Thank you.